0: Welcome to the Blindfold Chess Podcast. A pioneer in computer chess and chess coach, Mikhail Bodvinnik had an extremely strong impact on Russian and global chess. He was the first world-class player to develop in the USSR, and he was the driving organizational force for chess after World War II, creating the Russian School of Chess, teaching students like Karpov, Gasparov, and Vladimir Kramnik. Not only was he a great coach, but an unbelievable player, holding the world championship title for 13 years during a period of 1948-1963. to Growing up was complicated for Bodvinnik. His parents were Russian Jews. They and other Jewish people were confined to live outside of the Pale of Settlement in St. Petersburg. He was later asked his nationality, and his reply was, I am a Jew by blood, a Russian by culture, and Soviet by upbringing. He first learned chess at 12 in 1923, and finished around the middle of the pack in his school's championship. In 1924, he won that school's championship. In 1925, he was selected to participate in a simul with Jose Capablanca, the then world champion, and Bodvinnik won. Bodvinnik finished school below the minimum age for higher education, so he played in the USSR championship as the youngest ever player, finishing fifth and gaining his master title. In 1931, at the age of 20, he placed first in the Soviet championship, saying the field was not very strong. Later that year, he graduated with a degree in electrical engineering. Growing on a global scale, in 1938, he placed third in a candidate's style match to see who played world champion Alexander Alekhine. During that time, the challenger needed to raise funds for the world championship to occur, but Vinick had the backing of the Soviet government and challenged Alekhine, who immediately accepted. But due to Alekhine's turbulent relationship with the USSR and the Russian Revolution and the outbreak of World War II, the world championship match was prevented. During World War II, Botvinnik wrote a book of his games in order to stay sharp for his eventual match against Alekhine. He played what he could during the war, but high-level chess needed to wait until after the war. In 1948, he created and played in a new qualifying system for the world championship and won by a full three points, becoming the world champion. In 1950, he was an inaugural member to receive the Grandmaster title from FIDE. Over the course of 15 years, he played in seven world championships, losing two matches but winning them on rematches due to the Bodvinnik rule, allowing the former champion to rematch their challenger for the title. He retired from competitive chess in 1970 and began to focus on computer chess programs and coaching younger players. Until his death in 1995. In today's game, we are going back to the end of World War II in 1945 during Round 3 of the USSR Championship Mikhail Bodvinnik versus Alexander Koblenz.
1: Now, if we're ready, let's begin. 1 Pawn to d4. Pawn to d5 2. Pawn to c4 Pawn to e6 3. Knight f3 Knight f6 4. Knight c3 Pawn to c6 5. Pawn to e3 Knight b to d7 6. Bishop d3 Bishop e7 7. Castle Kingside Castle Kingside 8. Pawn to b3 Pawn to b6 9. Bishop b2 Where are the two light-squared bishops in the position? For white, that is d3, and for black, that is c8. Bishop b7. 10, queen e2. Rook c8 11 Rook a to c1 Bishop d6 12. Pawn to e4 With the pawn push to e4 What
0: tactical idea is white pursuing? That would be a fork on e5 between the dark square bishop on d6 and the
1: knight on f6. Pawn d captures c4. 13. Pawn b captures c4. Pawn to e5 14. Pawn d captures e5 Bishop captures e5 15. Rook c to d1 Queen e7 16. Knight h4. Typically,
0: you do not want to put knights on the edge of the board, especially when they are unprotected. However, this knight has a target square in mind. Be
1: thinking of what that square is. Queen b4. 17. Queen c2 Knight c5 18. Pawn to a3 Queen a5 19. Knight f5 The knight finally reached its target square on f5. From
0: here, it is very difficult to dislodge, and it is providing quite a bit of pressure on black's position, specifically around the d6 square,
1: e7 square, g7 square, and h6 square. Rook c to d8. 20. Pawn to f4. Knight captures d3. 21. Rook captures d3. Queen c5 check. 22. King h1. Queen captures c4. Black's bishop on e5
0: is currently hanging due to the pawn on f4, however black took the pawn on c4. Why is that? Currently white's rook is now under fire, with the rook on d3 being attacked by the queen on c4 and the rook on d8.
1: 23, pawn f captures e5.
0: We just went over that white's rook on d3 is currently hanging, so why did white go for the bishop on e5? That is because wherever white would move that rook, if it moves forward and tries to capture black's rook on d8, then they hang mate in one with queen captures f1. But if white were to retreat and play like rook 3 to d1, then
1: white's knight on c3 is hanging. Rook captures d3. 24. Pawn e captures f6. Rook d7. 25, queen c1. rook f to d8. 26, rook g1. black resigns. This seems like a peculiar place for black to resign. But
0: black's dark squares around the king will be falling apart very quickly due to white playing queen g5 or queen h6 with mate to follow. That is why the knight on f5 was so critical to the position. It is sort of allowing pressure to continue to build without a lot of pieces around it. So that is all that we have for this week. Tune in next time where we will continue to work on our blindfold capabilities and look at the games of the masters.